2: Starkware open sources its Ethereum scaling technology. FTX wants SBF donations back from politicians. And a mysterious image pops up on the multiple DeFi accounts on Twitter right now associated uh, with some of those projects. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined by uh, Marco Oliveira. Uh, But here's the important thing you need to know. We also have two guests coming to us live from Starkware sessions. That's the layer two summit that has just concluded in Tel Aviv. We have with us right now, Eli Ben Sassoon and Itmar Leswis from Arjun. Welcome guys. Hi. hey. It's a pleasure to have you both here. Before we get into our conversation, let's take a look at the latest price action. Bitcoin is trading lower for a fifth straight day. CoinDesk says that the longest—that's the longest since run such run since August. Uh, the fall started on Thursday ahead of the U.S. jobs report, which proceeded to smash expectations on Friday. Bitcoin is currently trading around twenty-three thousand dollars, so the fall has not been that large. Uh, let's take a look also at Ethereum. Ether has had a better week than Bitcoin. It's up some 4% on a trailing seven-day basis. It's changed little today, trading at around $1,650 US dollars. A report from brokerage firm Bernstein, cited by Coindesk, says activity on the Ethereum blockchain has picked up lately. That's been partially driven by a revival in NFT activity. Yugo Labs launched a new mini-game, which has proven successful. The Sewer Pass NFT collection saw over $6 million in sales in just hours. Bernstein says the next Ethereum catalyst is Shanghai Upgrade. That's coming next month. Mark, are you
0: back? Yes, I'm back. Thanks for picking that up, Ash. Well, for the viewers out there, join in on this conversation. Put down your questions in the chat, wherever you're watching. We're going to ask the best ones later on the show. Remember, Real Vision members take priority, but the good news is membership to Real Vision Crypto is free. Head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and sign up. With that said, let's bring in our two guests Ellie Ben Sassan, the president of Starkware, the Layer Two Ethereum scaling platform, and Itamar Lasuisse, the co-founder and CEO of Argent, the Ethereum wallet. It's a pleasure to have you both with us, guys.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Thanks. for having us.
0: Well, uh, take it away, Ash. I'll be back with some later with some news stories.
2: All right, we'll see you soon, Marco. Gents, uh, let's get started. Some news from the Starkware sessions. Ellie, uh, Starkware made a big announcement about its tech at the summit. Talk to us about what happened.
3: Yeah. So uh, first of all, the sessions event uh, was a smashing success. Uh, around a thousand developers from all over the world attended. To basically, talk about scaling Ethereum. Um, and during the sessions, we announced that we will be open sourcing the Starknet Prover in order to ensure that Starknet is a public good, uh, permissionless, inclusive, and free for all.
2: So let's zoom the camera out a little bit here, particularly for folks uh, who may be relatively new to the technology side of what we're talking about here. Tell us a little bit about the scaling problem in Ethereum. Uh, What does that mean? And what's the goal that Starkware has set in terms of solving that? Ethereum
3: is like a very reliable computer, but one that runs at a rather slow pace, at least compared to the demand for it. So we have a problem of scaling. Uh, which causes, you know, price spikes and uh, limited usage. Um, And StarCore's mission is to solve uh, the scaling problem uh, through uh, using math and under the same assumptions as that of Ethereum Ethereum security. So we do this with this technology that we invented. Um, It's uh, made accessible through StarkNet, a programming language called Cairo, and the core math and cryptography that is called Stark. And it all requires approvers uh, that are known as StarkNet Provers. And what we announced today um, is that we are open sourcing, uh, we will be open sourcing uh, the StarkNet Prover code.
2: It's very interesting from a practical perspective. What does change? that change do uh, in terms of the functionality of it? What would the improvements be that you're looking to see or hoping to see from open sourcing the project?
3: Um, First of all it's about uh, staying true to the principles of blockchain which means that uh, if you want true inclusivity and censorship resistance you need to have it uh, in the hands of all Um, and if you want it also to be adaptable and uh, updatable and improved all the time you want to benefit from uh, multiple developers having access to it. So it all points to uh, open sourcing uh, the core technology.
2: Yeah. Um, So, you know, it's interesting, obviously, there are other folks out there uh, who are working on Ethereum uh, scaling solutions, one of them uh, being um, Polygon-Matic. What makes your solution different? Talk a little bit about the roll-up technology, how it works and why it's relevant.
3: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, first of all, Polygon is a sidechain, not exactly a layer two, which means that the security assumptions, if you opt in into Polygon, are you need extra assumptions about basically trusting the multi-sig of polygon so it, i mean it's very important to state these things especially in the aftermath of things like you know ftx and solana and whatnot you really have to do your own research and understand what are the security assumptions of using something uh, which is scalable um, um, you know polygon but it uh, has some uh, security assumptions that could be viewed as a uh, know uh, problematic or questionable depending you know do your own research so um, we're a true layer two we're the greatest source of scale on ethereum today and uh, being a layer two means that the security of our solution is as good as the security of ethereum with no extra assumptions and um, we deliver immense scale uh, already today the technology that is uh, also going to be part of the Starknet Prover is the one powering DYDX, which uh, settled uh, nearly 500 billion dollars of trading last year over Ethereum. It powers um, Immutable X, um, that has minted you know dozens of millions of NFTs, and it powers uh, serere that have just announced last week the amazing news that they are um, um, working with the Premier League in addition to all the other soccer leagues that they have already enlisted. So um, this uh, source of scale is now going to be made open source uh, for the benefit of StarkNet and Ethereum.
2: So I also want to pull in uh, Itmar. Itmar, tell us a little bit about Arjun. Tell us about the wallet and the other technologies that you guys are working on.
1: Yes, so um, Arjun was created a few years ago on Ethereum on layer one to really make self-custody accessible, uh, so bring safety and usability to users. And what the challenges we face, we had abstracted the complexity, so it would feel like using any neobank on your phone, uh, are twofold. It's really the challenge of uh, scalability, uh, and two, the challenge of um, the model of accounts we had wasn't built for Ethereum. Ethereum was, was really built around the concept of private key that could be lost, that could would be prone to human error and so for us joining Starknet is really for two of their main properties is one the scalability what Starknet is really known for but two is really what we call account abstraction so it's the ability to really rethink how we manage self-custody and bring users a safety net you would have on you know traditional centralized uh, finance system but we bring that with the benefit of self-custody and censorship resistance
2: so, so tell us a little bit about the relationship uh, between Argent and Starkware. How are you guys working together and what's the goal in terms of end-user functionality?
1: So I think what was quite unique for us compared to other Layer 2s is we joined, uh, I would say, the ship very, very early on. So we were aware of the technology before the startnet journey started. And so we could really influence the development of the Layer 2 with our experience from a Layer 1. So we could really say that's that's what we need. That's how we can make accounts very secure. That's the usability challenges we have. And so, as part of the journey, we could really help shape uh, Shape's Starknet, uh, which bring us where we are today, uh, the leading wallet on Starknet with the experience we we dream to bring to users for years. So, getting rid of the seed phrase, uh, preventing fraud, preventing scam, uh, getting rid of all those interaction you have to do to do on the typical chain. So think about your erc 20 approved token, the 50 transactions you do that you barely understand and bringing basically a Web 2 experience. These are really the things that the, the core technology of StarkNet has enabled us to do.
2: Let me ask you guys this, in terms of those uh, the trade-offs that you face, uh, you say this sort of Web 2 user experience, obviously many folks find the Web 3 experience a little bit confusing. Uh, the UI UX has not been there for mass adoption as of yet. Tell us about some of the trade-offs when you talk about things like, for example, eliminating seed phrases. How are you able to manage uh, self-custody? How are you able to manage uh, true autonomy of the user while trying to simplify that? Because that really seems like one of the core challenges that anyone working in this space would have.
1: So I think the the key is that we finally put an end to those trade-offs. We don't need any more of those trade-offs. The way you can think about it is that StarkNet allows us to have programmable accounts. On Ethereum, you have your private key, you have a piece of paper with your seed phrase, and and that's it. You have that secret. If it's lost, it's game over. Uh, If someone has it, they have your money. Uh, With programmable account, there is no more limit to what we can do. So we can think of any kind of safety net, things like social recovery, or having a trustee that can help to recover funds, but then having mechanisms that would prevent uh, them from cheating you. So instead of relying on a centralized custodian, you can put any kind of logic you want in the account itself. Uh, The way you can think about it is, uh, you normally have a a wallet uh, with cash in it. If it's lost, it's game over. Instead, we use software, we use bank accounts. But of course, bank accounts require trust. Here, all that logic is put directly in the account itself on the blockchain.
2: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Yeah, it's it's so very interesting. Uh, talk a little bit about what some of those solutions might look like. Social recovery being an interesting one, but you sort of raised the point that effectively if you have a, a Turing-complete computer. That's a sort of fancy computer science terminology for the full programmability of everything. You can get all kinds of interesting novel solutions like you know, for example, uh, it has to be three of these five people, and it can only be recovered after, a you know, a 48-hour pause window. I mean, there are all kinds of sort of logic components that you can add to that. How are you guys thinking about that? And what are some of the sort of functionality components that you think might be uh, Im- implicit in this technology in the future?
1: So I'll take that one. I think it's really about... Um finding the, no, it's, it's really about finding the sweet spot in terms of usability. So if you think about the, the simplest experience out there, uh, you mentioned multi-sig, basically. Let's have two out of three signatures for that transaction. And of course, that's one use case. Uh, and we announce a product for Teams and DAO where they can implement that kind of logic. But then where, where it gets very interesting, let's say you want um, fraud monitoring. And that's also something we, we announced, where a second party that has the ability to monitor for fraud, monitor for risk, will have to sign. And so we announced to FA, you as a user will sign a transaction. You are just, of course, using your device. You don't realize you sign anything. But then Arjun has to sign for you also because we can monitor the risk. We can ask you for an extra verification. But what if Arjun uh, misbehaved? What if, uh, in a traditional world, Arjun could say, you know what, I I will stop signing for you. I don't like you. Or some government came to me and told me not to sign for you and so to freeze your funds. We have put logic in the account directly that says that if Arjun misbehaves, you can kick us out of the loop. There is a time lock so that security is managed. The time lock is enforced on chain and all that logic is directly in the account. So it's really moving from don't be evil to can't be evil. Say that last, those
2: two uh, last phrases again.
1: So moving, I I mean,
2: moving from don't be evil to can't be evil, basically. Right, right. So essentially building in the logic so that that cannot happen. Uh, It's also interesting. You could do things like set transaction limits. For example, you could have a lower level of security for a transaction of, you know, up to $100 or $500, whatever number you'd be comfortable with uh, and have larger transactions require a different series of logic to be executed uh, before the transaction could be completed.
1: Exactly. And actually, that's how Argent started. So three, four years ago, we had that on Ethereum. It felt, you know, it felt so smooth. We were even paying gas for users. We all know what happened to, <laughs> to gas on Ethereum. And so now we're really taking all those learning and bringing them to, to layer two, which my, much higher scalability, uh, much better efficiency.
2: All right. Let me ask you this, and it's just out of curiosity, and, and you don't have to give us any names, but have you had any uh, large name brand financial institutions reaching out to you saying, "Hey, guys, this is really interesting technology that you're working on"? We
1: we get that a lot, <laughs> on uh, yeah, from our. I think account abstraction is right now in the spotlight. Um, people realize you can, you know, program account financial institution understand that, uh, and so I think there's really a new. Uh, the new wave, a new excitement around it, it unlocks a, a new design space
3: basically for, for crypto. I can mention uh, uh, one thing that because it's it's been made public uh, basically by Visa, so Visa released this very interesting research paper in which they use the Starknet and account abstraction over it in order to explore things like you know monthly payments and safer payments and better UX and UI for their uh, customers. So.
1: They actually used an Argent account. I, I will name that too. Okay. A good point. <laughs> yeah. So
3: there you have
2: it. Some of the reporting coming out of Cointelegraph uh, this morning suggested that uh, Visa was working on these uh, functionality that would make it possible to convert stable coins to fiat on its platform uh, using some of the technology that you guys are both working on when settling payments. Obviously, this is something uh, that would be quite useful, I think, for end users. Uh, anything else that you could add around those points? No comment. <laughs> that means there's some interesting stuff happening behind the scenes. Whenever someone says "no comment," deadpan—that's generally what that means. No comment. I think what we can say <laughs> is that stablecoin payment
1: <laughs> is definitely something that we we are all excited uh, about, and the technology is finally there. I think to enable it at a, at scale.
2: Ellie, you've been on the show a, a bunch of times. Whenever you say "no comment," it means I'm watching that space very closely
3: uh no comments <laughs>
2: <laughs> and when you say it 3 times all the viewers so. uh, <laughs> say listen I wanted to bring uh Marco back and he has a couple of updates related to FTX Marco
0: Yeah, Ash. So FTX is asking politicians to return campaign contributions they received from Sam Bankman-Fried when he was the FTX CEO. We're talking about $93 million here. The company started sending out confidential letters. FTX says it won't shy away from getting the money back through court action. Separately, Sam Bankman-Fried's emergent Fidelity has filed for bankruptcy. It's an offshore entity that SBF used to hold 55 million shares of uh, of Robinhood, the trading stock Bloomberg says the court documents indicate emergent fidelity's only other asset was $20.7 million in cash. So, obviously, a lot of developments with this, with FTX, Sam Beckman Fried. What do you make of these stories, guys? How about we start with Ash?
2: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I I don't know uh, a whole lot about campaign finance reform. This is not, or campaign finance law, I should say. It's not my area of expertise. But it's interesting. The Coindesk article said that one in three uh, current members of Congress received contributions uh, from Sam Bankman-Fried, according to their reporting. So this is a pretty substantial story. Uh, you know, look, I guess there are two layers to this. You have the legal component uh, that's going to play out in bankruptcy court, uh, as as typically these claims will when you have uh, when you have the attempt at clawbacks and all these creditor claims and uh and what have you but in addition to that you also have the optics issue uh here for politicians if they receive money from uh you know a guy who's uh, effectively about to go on trial for i think eight felony counts uh that's an interesting question of how that looks and whether they will want to give that campaign uh those campaign contributions back this is a this is an interesting story and one to watch Definitely. I have
3: something to comment on on uh, the uh, the F word, um, which is that um, the technology that is behind um, Starkex that has been live and you know in production for more than two years, and is powering the YDX and Rhino, and uh, Mutable and Surreal and a bunch of others, um, is a technology that completely prevents. Uh, The kind of misappropriation of funds that caused this whole big thing to to happen. Um, So Itama Mm -hmm. just uh, beautifully spoke about uh, don't be evil converted into can't be evil. And I think it's what their technology is about and also what our technology is about. So, I mean, um, there are technologies out there. and They're actually live in production and they scale and they work that can prevent and solve the kind of problems that are affecting some parts of our sector.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that we've talked about here on this show is the idea that FTX uh, was obviously a highly centralized entity, a highly centralized entity that wasn't regulated, uh, which in many ways I think looks like the worst of all possible worlds. You have centralization where you have fallible human beings in charge, uh, and then, on the other hand, you have a uh, limited or very light regulation uh, in terms of the uh, policies, procedures, and legal framework that those highly centralized institutions had to follow. Uh, and so, we saw things that uh, you know we hadn't seen in the banking system since uh, probably the two thousand seven two thousand eight era. So, obviously, uh, fertile ground there to discuss and think about. And you make some interesting points about what true decentralization looks like, which I think is what many of our viewers are most passionate about. Hey, Marco, I understand you got some other stories.
0: Yeah, so there's another story here. Binance has introduced a tool to help users calculate their tax obligations on crypto transactions. Initially available to users users in Canada and France, this free tool can support reporting of up to 100,000 transactions, and there's plans to expand to other regions as well. And then looking at Asia, South Korea's Financial Services Commission has published guidelines for regulating security tokens under the country's capital market rules and is currently considering 17 separate crypto related legislative frameworks in order to create the digital asset basic act according to coindesk the guidance clarifies that stable coins will likely not fall under the definition of securities and and digital assets that have no issuer will also likely fall outside the scope of security tokens however digital assets corresponding to securities will need to be integrated into capital markets and be in compliance ash
2: Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Yeah, it's really interesting. Marco, do you have another story there about uh, what's happening uh, on these uh, DeFi accounts?
0: Yeah, and the, the last story here, which is one from our previous guest in the show, Crypto weatherman, he flagged something interesting if you want to take a look here. So the same image of a fist bump and the word Monday appeared on Twitter accounts of several different DeFi platforms. Clearly something is brewing, maybe some type of collaboration between these these large DeFi institutions. I'm not sure what's going on, but it's definitely interesting.
2: Yeah, it's extremely interesting. You know, I've often said that what makes crypto uh, so challenging to get your head around is it's uh, the three plus one core pillars of what this technology is about. Uh, number one, obviously, what we've been talking about here today, computer science. Number two, the finance and economics, the tokenomics uh, that uh, that drives the space from an economic perspective. Number three, uh, what's happening legal regulatory. Compliance in the legislative front. And the, the, the other sort of fascinating aspect of this space uh, is the culture, the ethos, the memetics. Uh, so this is a really interesting story. I'm curious uh, if, uh, if, if you guys, Ellie uh, Arjun, had some uh, interesting th- thoughts about what has been happening uh, over there, Mar in terms of uh, this sort of coordinated meme effort.
1: Is it a no comment, or a <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a fist bump to Starkware for um, open sourcing the prover. <laughs> uh, that's clearly
3: that. I, I confess that I'm just I, I I don't follow. There are certain areas of the um, you know crypto sphere that are very fascinating, but but. I don't follow, or don't uh, so I, I, I haven't heard of uh, this thing, and I don't know exactly what's going on. So it's not a no comment. It's actually I, I don't know anything about it. Uh, I'm more interested in like, you know, account abstraction, uh, new programming languages, uh, validity proofs, uh, Starknet, um, and even there, it's hard to follow everything that's happening.
2: Well, I have to, I have to say uh, to to both of you guys. Um, that it's a relief to hear you say that because I feel like, uh, you know, very often people look at this space and think, oh, my God, it's just so completely overwhelming. How can I possibly get my head around everything? And I guess the answer is nobody can really get their head around everything.
3: Yeah. I guess it's like the economy in general, like, you know, some big space of uh, innovation. It's very hard
2: to understand everything that's going on. Yeah, extremely, especially when things are moving as quickly as they are uh, here right now. Uh, Marco, I understand you have some questions. I don't know if you can uh, stay with us a few more minutes, or if you have to run. As people can see, I think you're at a conference right now in Tel Aviv where you guys have just wrapped uh, up there for the evening. Yeah,
3: there was an amazing uh, conference, uh, the StarCore Sessions, uh, um, sponsored by Argent and a few others. Uh, It was a really terrific event, very uplifting you know people talk about winter it's actually pretty blistery outside um and but but inside it was extremely warm and a lot of uh vibrant discussions about um uh building about how to scale ethereum and about um you know what comes next so it was very very uh really really great uh experience and I
1: think yeah. you had like seven hundred a thousand people here
3: yes. uh, something like that it felt and and no, I, I didn't notice any like you know speculative talk or like no one asked me you know what do you think about the price of uh, whatever or this coin or that coin or you know it was just it was all about building and you know uh, the future of this infrastructure very very good conference.
2: But by the way, guys, my heart just bleeds for you. It's about 55 degrees right now in Tel Aviv. It was about five here in New York a couple of days ago. So I think you guys are way ahead of us. Um, Ellie, I don't know if you can stick around. Itmar, it'd be great if we could uh, have both of you join us for some questions. But if you need to leave, that's okay, too.
3: I, I'm, I, I apologize. I need to leave uh, to get back to the events here. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for joining us, Ellie. Uh, Marco, jump in with some viewer questions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for those watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to get early access to Real Vision content, and it's always free. Over the weekend, we, re- we released the latest Idiot and the DGEN. Learn about self-custody in a quick, fun manner with our exec producer, Nico Brugge, and uh, Nick Correa, one of our great editors here at Real Vision. That's at realvision.com forward slash crypto. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. So, on to our viewer questions, and this first question comes from Paul E. on the Real Vision website. If if a technology can be written to not allow misappropriation or illegal activity, what's to prevent the creators from just making charges in order to steal money? Uh, Maybe I could throw that one over to you, uh, uh, Itamar.
1: Yeah, I think think that's a very good example. And Again, that's where, it's a good question because that's a good example of what we can do with programmable account. So it's simple. Do we write the logic where Arjun has any power? So for example, the product evolves. um, Arjun wants to launch new features. So you have updates. Uh, We could have written a logic that says Arjun can update uh, Marco's account, everyone's account. No, instead we wrote a logic that says only you can upgrade your own account. So we basically didn't give ourselves uh, any power uh, to make sure you have full full self custody.
0: And is there like a way that people, that maybe for example, uh, some users who you know want to trust your word, right? But they they want to confirm and validate this information themselves. How would they go about doing that? So for individual
1: users, I think it's obviously difficult because the the best way is to look at the code. Uh, So if you take all our new initiatives on StartNet, uh, from the ground up, everything is open source. Uh, so between having fully open codes, uh, between adding to that c- security audits, you if you're an engineer, you can literally dig into the code and get that confidence. I would say for other users, uh, times give them the confidence because they know enough eyes, enough people have looked at it uh, to make sure that there is no uh, no such thing as a backdoor or a special rights for Argent.
0: Yeah, that's one of the amazing things about crypto is the open source nature of it. And so you'll see, you know, people on Twitter that are smart, these engineers that might be looking into these in these uh, to to these softwares, to these uh, projects, and kind of verifying themselves. And so that information is available for people to see, and they can follow along with other people. Uh, let me move on to this next question uh, from Roger B. Again on the Real Vision website. How does Argent security compare to something like Ledger? So
1: we're a big fan of Ledger. So just to be clear, uh, I think specialized hardware uh, uh, as a a role, I think for certain type of users. Um, And I will also say that it's very hard to compare security and I'm probably not the most objective person here. So what I can say is Maybe tell you that the largest user we ever had on Ethereum, layer one is really where big whales are, the largest ever user had deposited $500 million into a Mm. single wallet uh, just there on their phone uh, secured by, by Argent technology. So we have had hundreds of millions of dollars. I think we reached billion at the peak, uh, and it's been extremely safe. We have uh, you know, a lot of recovery mechanism. It's about safety around hack, but also safety around losses, uh, around human mm-hmm. mistakes. It's really both sides uh, of the equation.
2: Inamar, hey, let me ask you a follow-up to that, which is, would it be possible either today or potentially in the future for people to use hardware wallets uh, like uh, Ledger in association, With Arjun, is that something that they would potentially be able to use in the future? Is there a way that that could be engineered?
1: So, actually, it's a very good question. I should have mentioned that that's how we work together with Ledger today. Uh, On layer one, so they are working, we're working with Ledger for StackNet integration. On layer one, the largest users we would have would use their Ledger as extra. Uh, think about the extra factors Uh, so i've lost everything i can still go somewhere in my safe where i have a ledger that ledger doesn't need funds doesn't need anything i just need that ledger to create a signature that could trigger a recovery and then a few days later i have back control of my account so we we think of ledgers as a really great complement for extra security for a very large sum and a lot of our users think about it that way
0: Fantastic. Well, this next question here comes from bandit8899 on YouTube. Do you have plans on building on top of any other chains or is your main focus on Ethereum? So philosophically,
1: I would say we're very agnostic. We think more about use case problems we can solve. And right now, chains like StarkNet Layer 2, like StarkNet that have account abstraction is where we can really make the biggest difference jump in terms of security and experience. We, we believe crypto is in a local maxima. We really, really need a 10x improvement in terms of usability, in terms of use cases. And so we are going where we feel we can move the fastest and have the best chance at delivering that. Once we feel we are in a good place on Starknet and have done the work, we would love to bring that to other ecosystems. We see different chains as some have different, technical difference, of course, but they're also different communities. And we would love to bring that over time to, to all the communities out there.
0: And of course, uh, probably seeing which chains survive, right? We don't know which ones will be around. But Ethereum is one of the most popular ones, one of the most used ones. So it, it makes sense that uh, right now it'd be the best place to start for sure. Well, that's it for our questions. I mean, that was a great interview, Ash. It's, it's sad that, I, that uh, Ellie had to leave, but give us your final thoughts, key takeaways. Uh, let's start with you, Itamar what I can say being here at Software
1: Sessions, it's it feels here like being uh, uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem at the very beginning. Uh, and so I think it's important people realize, yes, it might be the bear market in terms of prices, although things are changing, but there are a large group of passionate people really hard at work building. And I think we have never been so close to the next breakthrough uh, that will allow a lot more innovation uh, and a lot more creativity for builders. So very optimistic from here from here in Tel Aviv.
0: How about you, Ash?
2: Well, you know, this is interesting to me. These conversations I find just incredibly engaging. By the way, not an endorsement of any particular protocol, any particular technology, but the types of conversations, the types of issues that surfaced here today around things like user experience, user interface, around things like the true programmability and abstraction of accounts, this is really, to me, uh, the problem set that needs to be worked out in order for truly decentralized solutions to become uh, mass sort of adoptable by a broader audience. The challenge that we have today, we've been talking about this here uh, in the wake of FTX and Celsius and others, uh, the reality is that these centralized models, especially unregulated centralized models, have not succeeded. Uh, and the challenge with uh, that, that we see in the truly decentralized space, all those things that we just talked about, uh, problems with user interface, user experience, problems about recoverability of accounts, uh, problems about hacking and theft, uh, which I don't think we've really talked about here uh, today. But these are the kinds of issues that we're going to need to sort out, need to solve, if these are going to be truly mass consumption technologies that are ready for prime time, Marco. I agree,
0: Ash. Well, uh, thank you uh, both for coming onto the show. It was a pleasure having you with us. Uh, And uh, Itamar, we're going to have to definitely have you back on soon.
1: Awesome, thanks so much. Looking forward for next time.
0: Yeah, we are absolutely are too. So for those of you watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. That way you will always stay up to date with the latest crypto news and analysis. If you're not a Real Vision crypto subscriber yet, don't forget, it's free. Head to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. The CEO of Radix will join us live. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.